Hello and welcome again to Fat Free Film. I'm Joel Marshall. And I'm Kamala Lopez Dawson. And we have with us today Jonathan Penner, an actor, writer, director, and survivor. <laughs> Hi. Hey, thanks for having us here at your home. Your beautiful home. Um, we're very uh, interested. First of all, we might as well get this out of the way. You just came back from doing Survivor for 45 days, and I know you're not really allowed to talk about the outcome, but talk a little bit about the experience. Well, the experience was incredible. You know, I'm 44 years old. I was on the Cook Islands. There were 20 of us, and it was really one of the great times of my life because... Um, there was no phones. There was no contact with anybody from my life. There was no mail. There was nothing to read. There were no watches, clocks. Uh, it was a very pure experience, and I got to live, even though there were cameras all over the place all the time, you sort of quickly forgot about them. And we were able to live in a much more um, real, and I'm making quotation marks with my fingers as I say, real way, and that is how the human body was evolved to operate, you know, to sleep outside uh, in a bare kind of shelter, to eat foods that you find right there and nothing else, essentially, so that the food that you're eating was grown in the environment that you're living in. It's not like you're living in the Arctic and eating coconuts. You're living in the place where the coconuts grow and you're eating coconuts and fish. Um, it was fascinating, fabulous experience, really. Very cool. Did it feel longer than 45 days or faster? It was long. 45 days of doing anything is long. But it's like with anything else. At first, you're sort of saying, oh, my God, I can't believe I got another 40 days of this and I'll never get home and I really miss my life and my wife and whatever. And then you say, oh, my God, I can't believe I only have five days of this. 40 days are gone already. How the hell did that happen? And, you, you know, it's like with anything, I think, if you are really fully in the moment, as fully as you can be in whatever you're doing, even sitting here talking to you, if, you know, you're really here, then time itself, you know, expands and contracts in funny ways. Um, it was, we slept 12 hours a night, basically, from sundown to sunrise, and you sort of never sleep like that here, you know, even though you're sleeping on the ground, literally, or with a tarp on the dirt, I slept better than I ever slept here, you know. It was only when I got back and I got into bed and I said to my wife, did you get new sheets and pillowcases? Because it felt so soft. It's like the count, the thread count of my sheets had gone up miraculously. She's like, no, that's the same sheets and pillowcases you ever had. So, you, really, you know, you get to appreciate things. Um, did it feel long? It's a long time to do anything. You don't do anything in your life nonstop. For it was thirty nine days that the game lasted. You know, you don't you, you don't take a vacation for thirty nine days. You don't work for thirty nine days, or if you do, you're kind of a basket case. And I think actually by the end of it, it was it was stressful. It was stressful. Yeah. What was it like coming back to society after that? I know I spent a few months up in Alaska, and when I came back just to Seattle, which is was not like. New York City or something like that. I was I had to hold on when I was in a car, and it was just kind of crazy. Yeah, it was a culture shock for sure. 
But, you know, it's like with anything. You fall right back into it. When you're on an island eating fish and hunting for yourself and crapping in the woods, then that's sort of where you're at and what you have to do. And when you're in L.A. talking on a cell phone, driving in the traffic, listening to the radio, uh, that's what you do, too, you know. Um, but it did, it did, I don't know, it's not that it helped me, but it, 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 it re-encouraged me to think about being as present as I can be here as much as I try to be present there. You know, the, 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 uh, game is designed for you to realize like every day somebody's going to get eliminated or every other day somebody's going to stop playing the game. And I've tried to bring that successfully or not back here to say it's not so much that I'm going to be out of the game of making movies or show business or even out of the game of my life but it really is true that this is where you are right now right here be here now because you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow you know even though you think you know even though you can take it for granted and the chances are you're probably right I still will be sitting here on my couch talking to somebody else tomorrow who the hell knows or who knows who that's going to be you know life changes so fast when it changes and the rest of the time you're sort of doing stuff and then you realize oh crap I didn't even know what I had till it was gone when that weird thing happened that changed everything you know the 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 game of survivor is strange because the show survivor I don't know who watches it or not but you know over the course of an hour they usually have you know camp life and then there's this challenge this athletic event And then there's the aftermath of that. And then there's another athletic event and the losing team or the losing people, somebody goes home. Well, the way it's edited together, those athletic events seem to be the be-all and the end-all of life on Survivor. And the truth is that you could go two or three days just hunting and fishing and sleeping and hanging out and being social. And then you'd get one of these challenges and the challenge might last 10 minutes, you know. Which, of course, in screen time is 10 or 15 minutes, but in lifetime is just this tiny little, you know, piece of it. And so, uh, and so, um, I don't know what I was going to say. I just got distracted by my way. <laughs> what were you going to, what do you want to say? Stay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I just came in the room. Oh, okay. oh um, I have a question. Do the people who do the filming, do they, uh, is there a director? No, actually is allowed to talk about oh. any of the production stuff. Really? So I would be careful not to talk about it. Oh, okay, we won't talk about it. What do you think about, okay, here's the question, you can answer it or not. Do they ever um, intercede into what's going on to try and make it more lively or make people fight or things like that? No. The question is, do they ever intercede the producers? They don't. They are extremely vigilant about that for legal reasons as well as just for the veracity of the game. I think if the audience ever felt that somehow the producers were tampering in the outcome of the game, then any chance of the show succeeding would go out the window. I really believe that they go out of their way to not do that, to not ask any leading questions that might even influence what you think because they know stuff that you don't know. And so they are extremely objective. And in fact, aren't allowed to talk to you outside of asking you questions on camera. What do you think about, sorry to interrupt, but what do you think about um, reality television and the effect it's had on entertainment? Well, I don't think, I mean, what reality television, how reality television has affected entertainment, I'm not sure is as important a question as how has 
digital technology and where people are really at affected entertainment. And reality TV is a manifestation of those things. I think that just like this show is a way for people who might not otherwise be able to get a show to an audience, we are, you guys have been able to figure out a way to do that using new kinds of technology. The filming of a show like Survivor or any reality show is predicated on people having super easy handheld digital style cameras that they can film anywhere in almost any number of conditions. They don't have to change the film every 10 minutes. Even though they shot on beta and were changing every 30 minutes, the fact is they shot thousands and thousands of hours in a way they couldn't have done 10, certainly 15 years ago. I, I think the question, what's interesting about your question, and I think the thing that's going to really affect the change in, in the future is people are going to be making full-on theatrical movies in their homes. And that is going to change the market because there's going to be a way to do effects and there's going to be a way to create a studio because lighting is going to go 100 times better. You I mean, in the way that computers are just bigger, faster, stronger... Film technology is going to mimic that. It won't go as fast, but it's going to be a real leveling of the marketplace that's really cool. The, the other thing that I would... Stacey's right, I think, you know, and, and, you know, how those movies get distributed and what people need to feel successful. In other words, the, 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 fi- the financial uh, landscape is going to change. People can be creative. They can be creative now in their house and make short films, feature-length films, whatever. They may not make uh, Steven Spielberg-sized amounts of money doing that. They might. You know, Robert Rodriguez or some of these guys have been able to sort of parlay homegrown filmmaking into into studio finance. But um, uh, people will figure out it. The, the, the economic landscape will change, I think. But the, but the other point that I was going to make about reality TV and why it's so popular, to my mind, is because of what people want to watch when they watch drama uh, and not special effects or, 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 or um, um, what's the word I want? Um, CGI? Yeah, no, no. It's a spectacle. Okay, there's a difference between spectacle, which is essentially like a fireworks show or a roller coaster or something like that in the movie, something that you need $200 million worth of Sam Raimi-produced CGI beauty, right? That's something that we can't produce. But drama, one of the things that people really want is genuine human behavior, genuine human emotion. And that's why reality TV is so successful, I think, because the stakes are real and you're actually seeing somebody try to achieve their agenda and their reaction when they achieve it or don't or they're stabbed in the back or they make a million dollars or whatever, as opposed to some actor's choice and some editor's choice of how the character would react. You're actually seeing a real person that you may or may not have invested your time and energy into having something happen to them, you know, and that's why we watch you. You're hoping that Taylor is going to win American Idol or you're disappointed when Catherine doesn't win American Idol. And that's those are the moments that we have always wanted to see in a in a, in a drama, you know, and that's why reality TV is so successful. I think it's because it's real human drama. I'd like to ask you a little bit about um, similar to what we asked Stacy on her episode um, you started out as an actor, and you were quite a successful actor. You work all the time. You're very talented at that. And you guys did um, manage to, however, start doing other stuff. And 
take the bull by the horns, as it were. And I think that's very um, important for our listeners to hear how you don't necessarily have to stick to one thing um, and you can make your, your own way and it is what you make it. And I'd like to hear a little bit about your thoughts on that and, and why you decided to do that and how um, it's impacted your life. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is I always like to write uh, and I started as an actor and went into writing and then Stacy and I started producing and doing, you know, they, they all sort of expand as you start to do them. You find other jobs that are related. So I always liked to write as well as act. And at a certain point, sort of early in my acting career, I realized that no one was writing parts for me. I didn't quite know how I would get to manifest the parts that I wrote for myself. And in fact, I've only been able to do it a couple of times, actually write myself a part and then get somebody else to help me manifest that project but in so doing those projects in writing them and empowering myself so that I wasn't just dependent on the phone to ring as an actor or an audition going well I could have a crappy day disempowered or feeling disempowered I would come home and then type and have the universe at my fingertips essentially I could create anything I wanted the characters would behave either how I dictated or I would get to watch them behave but I'd created them so it was all the same thing you know essentially and that was really really empowering and I think in making the we made a short film first I'm sure Stacy talked about it but it was a very successful short film that we self-financed and had a lot of help doing. Her father helped us, and we had a lot of donated time and energy. But, but what we found was, what I found so powerful about doing that was, once the rest of the world or the rest of the business sees that you're going to do it regardless, that this is what you do. I'm in show, I'm in show business, but I'm, I'm, I'm a person that wants to create. I'm a creative person that has chosen acting or writing or directing or dancing or playing the bongos, whatever. And I'm going to do that, whether you help me or not. Well, once the rest of the world who is not so creative and Hollywood is built by non-creative people who are looking where to put their chips, where, where, what bet to take. Well, if they see that you're going to do it regardless of them, that you're still going to be around whether they help you or not, you don't freaking care about them. Well, shit, they'll bet on you. Of course they're going to bet on you because you're going to do it, you know. And as soon as you can say to them, okay, you don't want to deal with me? That's fine. I'll find somebody who does or it doesn't really matter to me because I'm going to do it anyway. I don't need you because this is what I do by myself. Even if it's alone in front of a computer, I'm going to do it. Well, that's very, very powerful. It's powerful for them because that's who they want to be in business with. A guy that's on fire to do it. A guy who's going to do it anyway, you know. Because they don't know what the hell to do. They're not creative people. They're financial people who are looking where to put their bets. You know, it's like a crapshoot for them. Everybody's got a script. Which script am I going to bet on? Well, they need somebody to tell them this is the script. This is the one. Now, today, uh, in August of 2006, you know, you need to have an attachment. You need to have life rights or you need to have an actor attached or a director attached, whatever. Just having a brilliant script, nobody trusts that anymore because there's a lot of brilliant scripts. There's a lot of talented writers and there are, you know, there are those people, a lot of us out there. So you need to even bake your bet 
a better bet for them to bet on. And the truth is, if you can get Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise to attach themselves to your movie and Steven Spielberg, that sounds like a pretty good bet. And those guys who are also gambling guys, you know, the truth is they can't shoot the phone book. Okay. In other words, they're not going to bring Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, and Steven Spielberg present the yellow pages. <laughs> right? They're not going to bring that to a financier who would, who would bet on that if, you, if they brought it to them. But they're not going to do it because their time is precious too. You know, they want to do good quality work, interesting work. They, they, they know it takes a year to make a movie. You know, and they only have so many years left also. We all only have so many years left to do this. How many projects can we really do before we stop? You know, even if you're 20 years old now, okay, and maybe you're going to do this the rest of your life. You got 80 years ahead of you, you hope. All right, so that's 80 movies. Well, that's a hell of a lot of movies. But the fact is, none of us believe that you're going to get 80 movies made. You know what I mean? So you have to start to think, where am I going to put my time? Where am I going to put my attention? And um, so you stack the deck as best you can. I'm mixing my metaphors terribly. But, you know, you, you, you know, you try to create the best thing that you can that people will bet on you because you're going to do it anyway. So speaking of these attachments, yes. yeah, it totally makes sense. And it's very, I mean, I think that that's what's exciting about what's going on right now in terms of both the technology and the attitude mm-hmm. you're talking about is you don't really need them. If you have a nickel, I mean, one of the movies that Joel and I produced called Filet of Four, we made for $100, and it got into the Tribeca Film Festival. So, you know, if you can scrape together 100 bucks and borrow a little, we have this tiny little Sony camera, the PD, what's it called? PD-100. Yeah, PC I mean, 100? whatever. I don't even I know mean, what it's well, called. It's the a thing tiny is, like, Sony the camera. size of my fist, and that's what we made the picture on. But, um... What do you think about this whole idea of attaching people and how do you go about it? I mean, for the average person that's out there trying to get their movie made, sending their script to have, um, you know, Tom Cruise read it is like, I don't know, it's, it's a completely daunting and almost impossible thing to achieve. There's, it comes down to why are you doing it to me? Again, if you're going to do it regardless then it doesn't matter because you're going to do it regardless. If you're sitting, it's the, it's, the, it's the guy in the garage in Indiana who doesn't know how to make a movie or how not to make a movie. Right now, we have the technology. You're, the, you guys are holding the same camera that Michael Mann shot Miami Vice with. You know, he, well, but he wants that look somehow, you know, that, that Blair Witch look. You know, that authentic look, whatever. The truth is that if you are sitting there in Indiana and you can get your friends to make your script, you can put it on on YouTube. You can put it on the web somewhere and somebody will see it. This guy who took the preview for The Shining and recut it and put that Peter Gabriel song, uh, what's his name, Wood, behind it. You know what I'm talking about? And he did this hilariously funny thing where he made a movie called Shining. And it's basically like this touching story. The implication is it's this hilarious touching story about a kid and his dad. <laughs> Wacky Jack Nicholson, you know? Because he just took pieces from The Shining and recut them together. And he put this uplifting music behind it. And he was getting calls from studios like, what else do you got? You know? Now... He's just a creative guy who took the time, had the talent, had the energy to do it, whether somebody was paying him or not. 
you know. Now, if you're going to do it regardless, if you're essentially doing it because it feeds you, okay, then maybe somebody will see you and offer you money or offer to fly out to Hollywood. It may be the worst thing that ever happened to you to have that happen. You know, or you're simply going to do it on your own and your grandkids will find some cachet of stuff that you did. And they'll say, oh, crap, our granddad was Vincent Van Gogh, the filmmaker, and nobody knew it. But the truth is, he probably had a pretty fun, creative life. You know, if, on the other hand, you're in it for the money or the fame or you want to make a career out of it, then you need to decide how much money and fame you need for your career to be successful. You know, maybe you can make movies as a professor or a high school teacher or something like that. That's a pretty good life. You know, being out in Hollywood, do you have to be Brian Grazer to consider yourself successful? Can we here in this room consider ourselves successful because we're making more money or have had more success than a lot of people, but have made less money and have had less success than some other people? You know, it's all what do you want out of it and what's your own judgment of success? You know, because anybody can be successful if they feel that way and they can put food on the table for their kids. That's all. You know, I, I know that there are huge producers, huge actors, huge writers who people would give their left leg, they think, to be or to have their career who are miserable, insecure, shallow wretches. You know, <laughs> no, but that's true. Right? And there are guys who are working as gym teachers who go home and shoot their kids with a camera and edit it together who are happy, happy people. You know, now I'm not saying that they are totally satisfied in their ambitions, either one of them. You know what I mean? It's what is going to make you happy. I would urge people to really look inside themselves and see that because you can always look around and see what other people are doing and who you think is happy. They must be happy because they've got this, that, or the other thing. It's what the hell makes you happy. Maybe being in Hollywood would make you happy. Maybe staying in Seattle shooting after work from your Starbucks, maybe that would make you just as happy. You know, I don't know. The great, you know, you can always look on the other side of the fence. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm not going to speak for all the artists out there, but I think for most artists, the ideal is to be able to do your art and not have to do something that you don't want to do. In other words, to be self-supporting as an artist really is the, the thing that would make most artists happy. If they could just do their art, whether it makes them famous or not famous, if they're just working on their stuff and making it better and, and creating and getting better personally as an artist, and they can still like put the food on their table and pay their rent, I think you know that would probably do it for, for most of us. But the fact of the matter is that most of us artists can't. So we have to find a way to, quote, monetize what it is that we do that's so hard to even categorize, let alone put a value on. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, honestly, that the struggle to live and to find how to live day to day is a big part of what life is about. You know, that is life, is finding that balance. Because the second you think that you're, you found it and you're standing still, you're going to fall over. You know, you, you can't stand still. You're either moving forward and it all feels good and it is all good and then you'll have a setback. I mean, pick your artist hero, whomever that is in whatever art form you are working in, okay? Whether it's Buster Keaton or Clint Eastwood or 
Owen Wilson. I mean, I don't know who, you know, whoever your person is, you will look at their career over the course of a long career, successful or not, and say, you know what? They had some ups and downs. And you look at someone who seemed to fall off the face of the earth and had an unsuccessful career, they might tell you, you know what? I was miserable. And the best thing that ever happened to me was when I lost that part and realized that I was drinking way too, who the hell knows? You know, I don't know. Everybody, you're right, is trying to find a way to do their art, to put the food on the table, to enjoy their friends, to be civic and civil, um, um, uh, socially minded, whatever that means to you. Everybody wants to do that. Nobody wants to say, I'm going to pollute and be an asshole. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's what I want to do, right? I'm going to be totally apolitical and don't give a shit about the rest of the world. Nobody would ever say that, you know, whether that's what, they, what we think they are or not. You know, so it is. You're always looking for that balance. I mean, we were just talking about this, that, that physically, you cannot, one cannot be the same person that you are at 40. I'm 44. I'm heavier. I'm slower. I'm dumber. I've lost brain cells. You know, I'm not the same person I was at 24, but I also think I'm happier. I'm more grounded. I'm, I'm, my priorities are straighter. You know, and it's all just... A journey. I don't know. I'm sounding. I don't know. I know I sound stupid, but you know. No, I mean, I think this is all really, really relevant to the struggling filmmaker, because if you can come to terms with that, and if you can do as Jonathan says and figure figure out what level of success will make you happy versus what the external is pointing to, then. then at least you have you know what you're going for in a very concrete way and hopefully you can be happy about where you are yeah because you know you can really pay attention to what everyone else is doing and keep track of the things they have or the things you think they are doing and you're never going to be happy and everyone who's there has someone else they're focusing on and it's just time to like cut that game off and just say this is great where I am. If I could just keep this going just like this, not well, bad. You know, I think, I think it's like if you, this is going to sound, this is the cliche. You put your nose to the grindstone and you go to work. I mean, that's what makes us happy is when we're working, you know. So if you're waiting for somebody else to acknowledge you and pay you or give you that work that's going to make you happy, you're doing it wrong, guys. I believe that. You need to have your own work, the own, your own thing that you do, you know? Whether that's anyone else ever sees it or not, that will make you satisfied. And you put your nose down and you do your work. And yes, everybody's going to look up once in a while and say, oh, crap, I walked way off the course. I thought I was heading over here and I'm about to walk off a cliff. And then you reorient yourself and you put your nose back down and you work, you know. And if you're always just looking around, where am I in relation to everybody else and where I think I should be, the chances are you're spending your time and your attention and your energy not on the work that will get you to where you want to be, you know. You put your nose down and you say in the next year, the next hour, in the next hour, I want to write a scene for my movie. That's what I'm going to do. Well, you stack up those 10 hours and you really do the work. You got 10 scenes. A movie, a feature film is only 40 scenes long. You know what I mean? 60. Anybody, you can make it one scene long if you know what you're doing. No, you put, you, all right? you put, your, you, know, you put your nose down, you do the freaking work. 
And then you pick your nose up and say, I did some work. Anybody interested? You're not interested? All right. You put your nose down again. You go back to work. I don't know. That's I don't another know. thing that I think people, people, they get daunted by, oh my gosh, I can't do an entire feature film or, oh my gosh, I can't even do a short film. I don't know. Like, I think people go sometimes to movies like X-Men and they look at it and they say, I couldn't do that. Well, of course you couldn't do that. It took hundreds upon hundreds of people to do that. And so people get stuck sometimes. I found myself, sometimes I get stuck. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. It costs too much money. It's this and that. But it always comes back to that thing of, you know, I want to learn the piano. Oh, you know, if I started learning the piano now, how old would I be when I could finally sit down and, and play something, you know, just right off the paper? Well, I'd be the same age as if I didn't. And I think that that's, it's true. No, that's exactly right. You know, and you look at X-Men, and maybe you want to make X-Men, right? Well, just saying that would be naive, okay? Because as you said, it's not one person that made X-Men. Now, it might be one person that thought of the idea, and that is the thing that you can do. It might cost a billion dollars to shoot your script, But how cool would that be if you could really imagine a world or a story that would take a billion dollars to shoot it? You know what? Let the other guys cut down the budget and shoot it for $200 million. That's so much money. That's what movies cost now. Spider-Man 3, you know, the numbers are over $200 million to make one of these movies. And it takes hundreds of people, hundreds, thousands of hours, millions and millions of dollars. So if you are alone, you're either going to shoot a small movie, right, that, is, that, that can be made with one person holding on to a camera, and you will put in the time and the energy, and you will do that. Or you can sit down in front of a typewriter and write some incredible story, you know, and sell that story. There's everything in between those two things as well. One of the, you know, to go back to your question, how did I, this wasn't your question, but this is what I'm extrapolating. How'd you go from being an actor to an actor, writer, producer, whatever? When you're a kid, at least when I was a kid, we didn't know about all the other jobs. You know what I mean? You go to the movies and you see actors up there. You, don't, you probably don't even think about the fact that somebody wrote the story. Most people don't. You know, they don't think about the fact that somebody directed it, edited it, scored it, all those other things that go into a movie. So you start out, I'm going to be an actor. You know, at eight years old, that's what I decided. That's all I knew, you know. And then you read and you learn a little bit more. And there's a couple of names that everybody's probably heard. Steven Spielberg, Alfred Hitchcock, George Lucas. You know, what did those guys do? Most people never really find out what they do. But those that are interested in the business or doing this, they might get some sense. And slowly but surely, you find yourself drawn to the music or the cutting or the scoring or the effects or whatever it is. And that's why you can learn over time that there are many many, many, many ways to make a living, have a successful artistic or at least creative career in show business. You don't have to be an actor or a star or a directing star. You can do a lot of different things and have a great life, you know. Wow. Um, I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. This is, uh, I think this is really great information, and I, I am inspired, and I'm going to go out and make a movie right now. <laughs> uh, we're at this section, though, of the show where we, we talk about um, film bites, which are little pieces of information that uh, we can give filmmakers out there that they can do right now. And uh, I'm going to start with mine. Mine is um, communicate with people 
in as many ways as possible. And you'd be surprised who you can communicate with. I got a lot of emails uh, this week uh, from people out there who are telling me about the movies that they're making and they have questions about things that they uh, uh, want to do. There are so many avenues for you to communicate. This is one of them, podcasting. Of course, film is communicating to large numbers of people. Um, just find any way to communicate and just keep building that communication and keep getting it out there to people. You, know? you might find yourself talking to one of your you know, idols out there. One of your American idols or one of your survivors. And on that note, too, uh, you can email us at joel at fatfreefilm.com or camilla at fatfreefilm.com. And uh, what I, my film bite would be, um, based on what I've learned from Jonathan, is if you have a project that you really want to make and it just seems too daunting to you, if you just break it down to a manageable size, for instance, just writing that one scene or just making that one call or just researching that one aspect of an idea that you're going to put into your script and you just put one foot in front of the other and do the work, as he says, you will get there. There's just no doubt about it. And that's all. Yeah, uh, it's Jonathan, and and I guess my bite, I don't know, I've talked a lot, I'm sorry, I'm boring, but if you put the energy out, maybe I'm, I'm saying exactly the same thing that my friends just said, but if you put the energy out, it will come back. You know, the, the, the cliche or the analogy is if you throw the rock in the pond, the, the ripples are going to go out, and then they hit the other side, and they start to come back. And if you keep throwing rocks out there, I mean, genuine, I'm not talking about just talking everybody's ear off and putting a lot of crap out there. I'm saying if you genuinely try to put good energy out into the world about yourself and what you are putting out into the world, good energy will come back to you. And if you sit in your house and you say, ah, everything out there is crap and you don't put any energy out or just put negative energy out. Well, that's all you're going to get back is either nothing or negative energy. But if you are genuinely creating, and I'm going to sound like a bad hippy-dippy Californian now, but if you, if you are godly, and that is if you are creating, and that is what we are here for, and that is the way that you can be the most godly, I feel, to, to, to create something that isn't there now and put it out into the universe, the universe will provide. I believe that. That's great, and we're going to end on that note. And thanks for joining us, and thanks for having us, John, in your house. And watch Survivor starting yeah, September 14th. <laughs> Thank you.